0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, it's so good to be back together with you again. As we continue to walk through the book of First Corinthians, uh, we uh, we are going to unpack First Corinthians uh, chapter seven. This chapter is a little longer than what we've done uh, uh, the last couple of weeks, but it's it's uh, it's uh, it only it's covering only a few topics. So even though Paul has a lot to say on, on the topic today of marriage, uh, we pro- we may be able to get the whole thing in. If not. Uh, we'll, we'll finish the rest of it uh, next week and maybe even get into eight a little bit. But we'll try to get it all in today. Uh, I do want to update you on some things that are going on with themanchurch.com. Uh, if you are looking to try to find a man church that's happening near you, uh, I'll be in um, uh, Petal, Mississippi, October the 17th. Uh, looking forward to spending time with the uh, Pine Belt Baptist Association there. On the 24th, uh, Man Church uh, the, at Mangum Baptist Church in Mangum, Louisiana, uh, they've already started doing the curriculum, uh, but I'll be there uh, with them as uh, as they do a man church. That's part of the gathering. If you're familiar with our men's discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com, it features two things. High challenge, that's men getting together in gatherings. Uh, and then, of course, that's followed each time by high equipping. That's you plugging into uh, one of our curriculums. If you want to see the curriculums that we offer Uh, and you'd like to find out about, uh, hey, can we send some teachers and speakers to come see you, Uh, you can go to themanchurch.com. Everything about our strategy is there, and we'd love to help your group or your church uh, to plug in a strategy to reach and disciple the men of your church. Uh, it, It pays huge dividends. Also, I'll be at a men's conference coming up on November 5th and 6th, High Point, North Carolina, with Green Street Baptists there in North Carolina. Now, other speakers that will be out and about doing man churches that you can attend. Uh, Brian Gunn uh, will be at Crossroads Church in Warrior, Alabama. They're rolling through the curriculum, doing the gatherings, doing doing the curriculum. Uh, Rich Wingo, another church still doing the strategy. First Baptist Church, Troy, Alabama on October the 11th. Uh, Then uh, Scott Dawson. Uh, He was going to be at Journey Church on October the 24th that's now been moved to November the 11th so make a note of that they had to change theirs uh and then I mentioned me being louisiana so uh those are some man church opportunities for you you can find those by going to the manchurch.com uh and clicking on events if you're just looking for places that i may be speaking at conferences or things like that you can find those at burgessministries.com uh if it's not associated with the com, so uh let's open up in a word of prayer and then we'll jump right into uh, our lesson today Lord, thank you for this time together. We are excited to unpack your word. Uh, this is your revelation about yourself. This is uh, you showing us who you are and who we are in response. I pray, Lord, that you continue to mold us into the people that only you can. Uh, and and if we're looking to hear from you, there's one place that we know we can, right out of your word. Uh, and, Lord, may we see that today. I do say a, a special prayer for uh, you know, those that are struggling, I know this is a, still a time of difficulty for many people. Uh, there are many things going on, even with the men who attend this here in the studio. I do want to pray over my wife, Sherry, as she's preparing to speak, uh, to people in, in Mali, West, West, uh, Africa. And Lord, I pray that you give her the message we'll deliver, uh, in just a, a few hours, uh, there in West Africa. And may those hearts be prepared to hear and may her grasp of the French language, Lord, that you've been teaching her, uh, that she have clarity. As you speak through her uh, to uh, uh, to people there in West Africa and for the missionaries that she's working alongside, Lord, take this time together and uh, and Lord, mold it into what you would desire in your name. We pray, Amen. All right, so let's uh, let's take a look at uh, at one Corinthians chapter seven. Uh, We've been making a joke here in the studio Uh, last week. The studio, every seat was full. Uh, we did an entire hour on sexual immorality, and this week it's only about a quarter full. Uh, so I, I'm not gonna read anything into that. Uh, I'm just sure people were busy today. Alright, so in Matthew 7, so, I mean Matthew 7, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I've talked about Matthew 7 so many times. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, up to this point, uh, through this letter to Corinth from Paul, he's been dealing with sin reported to be known inside the Corinthian congregation. Now, what you need to know, because we're going to get into their questions, this is not what they had written to him about. They'd written to him to ask him questions, and he's like, oh, look, I'm going to get to the questions now starting in 7, but I'm going to spend this first part of the letter talking about, uh, y'all, y'all left out the part of the open sin that's going on in the church and the things I'm hearing I'm not pleased with, and he talked about divisions in the church and sin in the church and church discipline. Now as we get into 7, this is when Paul is saying, okay, now I'm going to start answering your specific questions. Uh, and he's gonna start off with one of their questions. Uh, and one of the questions that they sent to him is about marriage. They, they had some questions. Now, when we get into this, this, it's very, very important that you understand. This is not, these, this, this part of 1 Corinthians is not taking on marriage from a, um, from, from the, a, a theologian standpoint. This is not about theology involving marriage. They ask specific questions about marriage. So what you're gonna see is, when you think, well, I wonder why he's not talking about this or not talking about that, I'll tell you why. He's not going to address anything that Jesus has already addressed. What he's going to talk about is there's some things Jesus didn't cover, and y'all have asked me about some specific questions about marriage, and uh, so I'm going to tell you some of the things. But again, this is not Paul saying, I'd like to talk to you about God's view of marriage. It's really not about that because God's already spoke to that. So what he's doing is, is, is answering specific questions that they were asking. Now, can we apply those to our lives? Of course we can. Uh, it, but but remember too, because some of this uh, has been, there's been people have been critical of what he says um, in in uh, in chapter seven. Uh, the people who are critical of what he's saying, frankly, don't understand what he's saying. Uh, the, the the criticism is unfounded because some people have said some of the things he says um, in in First Corinthians, beginning now, that somehow that Paul has something against marriage that Paul has something against women. And that, nothing could be further from the truth. That, that has nothing to do with this. Some of the things that you're going to see involving marriage, you have to remember why they're asking the question. So it, it's very similar to, to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, you know, Peter is talking to a church that's under persecution from Nero. So they, they don't know that they're going to live through the day. Well, this is similar. The, the, the persecution of the church coming from Nero is elevating and the church is under great persecution so they think two things christ may return any day or we may be we may be killed any day so what should we do about marriage so so remember you you got to know what the background is uh well on, on this part of first corinthians or you may not understand it it'll, it'll seem like why is he talking like this but when you realize that they didn't they thought that they didn't they didn't know how much time they had and so some of these things you're going to see him addressing about the best use of your time for the kingdom involving marriage is not an indictment on marriage. It's talking to you gotta, you. got to figure out what you need to do in the time that we're in. Well, that still applies to us today, uh, You know, and we'll see this at the end. What we can take away from this, if you are already in marriage or really if you're contemplating marriage, there's a lot for you here, especially the ones contemplating marriage uh because this is it, it what Paul is saying is look don't don't just haphazardly uh, roll into this you need to really, really be thinking about this and so also in marriage or if i'm not married how do i best serve the church how do i best serve the kingdom and that's really what he's talking about so uh so let's unpack that so he says and i love this shift in 7 you see now now let me address what y'all wrote me about i'm done with i'm done with my not rant but i'm done with my my message that I that I need to address. Now let me talk about what y'all wrote me about. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now right there, right out of the gate, you're like, Whoa, what do we whoa 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 what? So stay with me. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her, her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but, this is the part that's often, often left out, the husband doesn't either. Okay. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, so that, don't miss so that, Satan... May not tempt you because of your lack of self-control so the first thing he says right out of the gate is it's not good for it, 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 it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman what and then he goes into marriage and says, what now y'all be sure y'all are having relations well the reason why he's saying that he's saying if you want to serve the church during this time and you're not married that's the first statement he's saying is you do not need to be burning, and he'll get more to tell in this, and passions about worrying about whether you're going to have relations with a woman or not. You need to be focused on what we're doing if if you can do that. He's also talking about you know what the what we talked about in, in chapter six that there should be this should not be what's consuming your whole life. I talked to a brother of mine yesterday, I had a great day yesterday with one of my best friends in the whole world. And we got to spend a lot of time together. And we got, we were literally talking about before we were redeemed how sometimes, especially when a man is young and, and full of hormones, honestly, it's all you ever think about. And uh, I mean, your whole day is wrapped around, you know, uh, trying to find some way to be intimate with a woman. I'm sorry. I know some of the women watch this are like, what? 100%. I mean, I'm talking about you, you'll spend time away from your friends. You'll spend all day hoping that you can make something like that happen in pursuit of that and you wake up with it on your mind and you know you end the day with with saying it's still on my mind and what Paul is saying is we can't have that kind of mindset and he goes on to say but because of the temptation knowing that the temptation of sexual relations is so strong and it is a gift from God he said each man needs to go ahead and have his own wife so so and each woman should have a husband meaning if, if y'all going to struggle with fornication, and this is all we're going to talk about, get inside marriage where God gives this as a gift to the husband and wife. And it's not just for procreation. That's certainly part of it, and Paul's going to talk about this. Uh, but it is for the enjoyment and the intimacy of, of a man and a woman. And he says, but and this is what's, what's crucial. As a matter of fact, the temptation is so, so strong, do not deny each other this intimacy that God has given to marriage. Now, some men especially use this, these verses, to tell their wife that they need to be intimate with him anytime, anywhere, whenever, whenever. That's not what he's saying. Because we're talking about marriage, okay? Now, is it true that this gift from God should not be used by either partner as a weapon or a punishment? 100%. Paul is saying, do not behave that way when it comes to intimacy. Inside marriage, int- intimacy is a gift. It should be enjoyed, and he's going to say he's going to talk about why. He says, uh, because you both don't have authority over your bodies, because when you entered into marriage, you agreed that the two of you would become one. So his body is yours, and her body is yours. Um, and it says, do not deprive each other, except for by agreement for a limited time. Meaning, look, there's going to be times that you say, uh, he used an example of prayer, but sometimes he may say, you know, there may be something going on uh, with your wife that would not make this possible. And you get together and you talk about it and you say, hey, we're go- I understand what's going on. He's saying communicate with what's going on. But what he is saying, what he is saying is of your own rudeness, selfishness, or punishment, do not use this as some sort of ploy. Do not withhold this from each other because it can be very damaging to the marriage. He says, uh, "Maybe you want to devote yourself to prayer. That would be great. You, you, you know, just like you fast anything. You say we're going to fast this time together. And every time we start desiring uh, this inside our marriage, we're going to go and pray. Okay. And we both agreed to that. It's not one person says that's what I'm going to do, Another other says I don't think I'm on board. You know, make sure that this gift of intimacy is communicated between husband and wife. It is not denied to each other. But this is not saying, and this is crucial." This is not saying that if you're married, and I'll speak to the men first, if you're married to a woman, this means she has to do whatever you want to do. And she can't deny you that. That's not what it says. I've had many great teachers say, if you want to talk about marriage frankly, you certainly have the freedom to enjoy the intimacy of marriage. And I know some of you may have a song in your house, so I'm being very delicate with this. But what you are not allowed to do is to force somebody to do something that they don't want to do or something they feel. And I'm not talking about intimacy in general. I'm talking about anything in, in the marriage bed that a person is being forced to do or doesn't want to do should not be forced on anybody. And and, and, and certainly there should be nothing going on that makes somebody feel uncomfortable or there's anything that somebody says, hey, that's that, that, nothing that could be harmful Okay, this is, and you don't introduce other things into that intimacy. Um, and when I speak about that, there's some people that, some men who've actually brought porn into their relationship with their wives and really messed their wives up with this. These kind of things should, you don't bring that. This should be a beautiful, intimate uh, relationship between a husband and a wife inside marriage. And inside marriage, whatever the, bo- the the two of you want to do to enjoy each other is certainly your own business, and it's not sinful, but you're not, to force anything on anyone, and to try to pull these verses out when maybe someone needs you to uh, be tender to them, to be understanding to them. But let me tell you what it is absolutely saying is married people should not spend long times uh, uh, apart from each other and not participating in the intimacy of the marriage. It's absolutely saying that. And Paul doesn't apologize for that because of what he says next. Come together again, even after the time of prayer, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says this desire to be intimate is too strong. And this is also why, and now I'm sidebar here, This Paul's not addressing this, but this is also why that married men and married women need to quit being so stupid or thinking everybody else is stupid that there's not a God-given attraction to a woman, to a man, and a man, to a woman, and you be spending time with someone of the opposite sex that's not your wife or not your husband. Because he this, this is a real thing, it's very powerful, and people are easily tempted by it, so quit justifying things that you know are lustful by spending too much time by yourself with somebody else who's not your husband or not your wife. That is not wise and it shouldn't be done. I do I do not go and, and go on uh, have lunches with female salespeople. I don't do that. I don't do that by myself. I don't get in the car and travel with somebody who's not my wife uh, for any not for business or for anything. If you have to do something like that, business, take your own car. Uh, I don't go, I don't go off with women that are not my wife. Now you can certainly be in business and have a lunch that involves a group. Certainly nothing wrong with that. Uh, you can have meetings that involves a group. But well, what you don't do. If you are married, is to go spend time with one person by yourself uh, unnecessarily and really ever if you can avoid it, because this temptation is strong. It's a problem, and and there's I'll tell you what, and and every t- every single time someone's ever come up to me and said, I'm really I don't I think my spouse is too emotionally attached to so and so from work or whatever. You know what? I I, I want to be the first one to tell them they're probably already having sex. You, know, you ever notice that a man always he always calls it emotional. Have you been doing something this other one? Well, you know, I'm probably having an emotional affair, and I'm like, Do you think I'm an idiot? I mean, honestly, I get tired of being talked to like I'm an idiot. You really think they always say that first. Remember this. Anytime somebody is is, 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 is being flirtatious or spending too much time away from their spouse with somebody else from the opposite sex, just about every single time, whatever they admit to, it's worse. Almost always. Certainly there's exceptions. So we don't do it. And that's what Paul's talking about. He said, so let me tell you what you don't do. You don't deny each other this and you don't let the marriage get cold because Satan's going to come into that marriage and he's going to draw one of you, if not both of you, away to somebody else. I mean, that's how strong this is. So he says, now, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as my, uh, as myself am but each has his own gift from God, one of a kind and one of another. Now, what are he talking about? I wish you'd all be like me. Paul, we think, most commentaries, we don't know. But some people talk about like they know this. You don't know that. We think he's a widower. We don't know that because it would be odd in the Jewish uh, cult- culture for Paul to be of this age and have never been married. Uh, so we don't know if he ever had a wife. There's no mention of that. You would think he would mention it. But we do know he has no wife now. And And so what he is saying is, I cannot serve the Lord properly with the responsibilities to a wife. And I wish, that, I wish there were more of you that could do that. Now, Paul is not saying that as an indictment on marriage, and you'll see that. He's saying that because he said, hey, we got a lot of work to do, and I can handle it. I'm, uh, apparently, and I've met men like this, Paul does not struggle with sexual sin to the point that he thinks he should go take a wife. Uh, he thinks that through, through, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's got this under control. And he said, "So, here's what's great. if I need to go preach, I can go if I need to if if God calls me to go here and plant this church, I can go. I don't have the responsibility of wife, and I wish more of you could do that because I remember this this is what's beautiful. these verses were used um and I'm not going to go down this road today, so don't panic um, there's there are some disagreements within the church on whether um Paul when talking to Timothy when he said that a deacon or an elder must be the husband of one wife, there's a debate inside the, the church on whether he means divorce. Now, he has access to the word divorce here, and he doesn't use it. Or does that mean those men that had multiple wives are men who would just leave a wife and go take another one, which Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 10. And there's a debate on that. So this debate was breaking out in a group of, of uh, church members one time, and I won't, I won't get any more details about that. And there was a disagreement. One said, I, I do not think this is talking about divorce. Uh, and the other one says, I think it is. And then finally one guy said, well, let's leave it as if it includes divorce because we want to do what's best. Uh, no matter how godly these men may be now, it's probably best that we go with men who've only been married to a woman one time in their entire life. And then the person came back and said, no, if we want to go with what's best, according to Scripture— it would be all single men in here who aren't married that can handle sexual temptation. That's what the Bible says is best. It's not married guys. It would actually be single guys who aren't married. That would be best. But, uh, so if you want to go best, a lot of, all of us in here are married. We need to go. And of course, that led to a lot of fun on his part. But anyway, so, so, so he says in verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot, Exercise self-control. This is crucial because we do know that there are some, well, uh, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. See, this is the thing that, that I think gets misunderstood in these verses, and I've seen it used this way before. Those who have never married and do not burn with passion and keep it under control... They are more holy than those who are married. That's not what Paul is saying. He's talking about practicality. He's saying, look, if you're, if you're married, now we know that can't be true because we know that God loves marriage. We know that God, the writer of Hebrews says, may marriage be held in a place of honor by everyone, and, by the, and may the marriage bed never be defiled. God, didn't, God said that Adam being by himself actually wasn't good, and he gave him a wife. So, so, But what Paul is saying is, now, if you have a wife or you have a husband, you have a responsibility to them. That's all he's saying. So if you're not married, you won't have that responsibility. So I say to you, those of you that have been widowed or those of you that are single, if you want to serve with me and we want to advance the kingdom, remember, he thinks that they could be killed any day. He thinks Jesus could come back in their lifetime. He thinks there is an urgency at advancing the kingdom of God that those of you that can devote the most time without the other responsibilities, I need you all on the team. But, and this is the key, if you can't handle it, take a wife, take a husband. How many more headlines have we got to see of somebody who's in a position of power in the church that made some vow of celibacy, and they can't handle it? And it turns into disaster. So this isn't there is no call in scripture for you to to be, to serve in the church and you, and you and you must make the, uh, the the call to celibacy it does not say that it says it would be great if you could and if somebody feels called to that and they call out I believe my best way to serve God is to be celibate and I want to take that vow of celibacy and I want to serve the kingdom and I can handle the temptation praise God for those people but Paul is not saying one is better than the other. Oh my goodness. Inside his, his church, Priscilla and Aquila may be two of the most powerful people in the entire early church. It's a married couple. And they're serving together. So it's not one versus the other. He's saying if you're going to do one, do it this way. And if you can't handle it, then you need to take a wife. You need to take a husband. So that, that's been often presented in a way that frankly is just not biblical. Because he says, it's better for you to be married than to be in sexual sin, right? I know, I'm sitting here right now, just straight up, and I have other people that I've said the same thing about. You're never going to get right with God until you take a wife. You're never going to get right with God until you take a husband, because this sexual purity call, you can't do it. There was no hope for me. If, if, if I mean, God can do anything. But I couldn't get my life under the authority of Christ until I took a wife and entered into holy matrimony because part of what was holding me back from committing to Christ is I knew what his standard for sexual purity was, and I wouldn't commit to it because I said, I just don't think I can live that way. Now, now look, you may think less of me for that. I'm just being honest. So what was beautiful, though, is the option was there for me, as Paul's talking about, to take a wife, and my wife and I came under the authority of Christ, repented of our sins, entered into holy matrimony, and now we're serving the kingdom together. And that part of my life comes under the authority of God, and I can't tell you how much of a, a, a peace that was. Finally, this part of my life is under the authority of God. Finally, I'm right with God on this. And then I was, I was, I was able to move on. That's why it's available to us. God loves marriage. He, he, he's not going to deny you sexual intimacy with your husband or your wife. As a matter of fact, he says this is a gift that you should practice often. And um, so, so he says, if you can't handle it, take a wife. He said, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. He clarifies. Now, this is coming from the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, we know that there's exceptions to this. One of them he is going to talk about himself. But Jesus had already talked about that when it comes to adultery, if adultery cannot be reconciled, see, that's what we talked about last week. Sexual sin and sexual intimacy is so powerful that if someone violates the sexual purity of a marriage, it may be unreconcilable. Sometimes people just can't get past it. And Jesus even understood that. He said, this may be such a severe insult to the marriage that you may not be able to get past it. And if you cannot reconcile and you cannot get past it, then I allow for divorce. So the reason why Paul's not talking about that here is it's already been talked about. It's already on record. So what he's saying is this, and this is important because I see this, and I, and I come under some attacks uh, for this a lot too. What, what the Bible isn't saying, the Bible is saying that... Um, Uh, For you to be able to divorce on demand, no-fault divorce, is sin. That is not a creation of the church. It's not a creation of God. Human beings created no-fault divorce. No-fault divorce is sin. There's no way around it. It's always sin. Okay. Now, adultery, we know that is allowed. And Paul's going to talk about another uh, form of divorce that is allowed, but you need to follow the steps. However, however, the sin of divorce is not unredeemable. I mean, I'm sitting here right now. I'm a man that has been divorced, but when I was divorced, I was lost. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I wasn't under the authority of Jesus. And and so what? And I've had people say this before. So, well, you know, according to Scripture, uh, you you're supposed to go out and reconcile with your with your first wife. Now, wait a minute. So you're telling me that once I became redeemed and knew about this sin and would adhere to the sin, you want me to leave my current wife, go tell my first wife to leave her current husband, and then all these children that have been these new creations and these new marriages and these new people, you really believe that God, in order for me to be right with him, wants me to now divorce my current wife and go find this other wife that I had that before I was even saved, and in order to be right with God, i got to go do that? You really think that's what they're talking about? Of course not. Now, is it sin what I did? Yes. But is it unredeemable? No. You know, some of the most powerful people that serve in the church today are people who've had divorce in their past, and it may not even have been biblical divorce. It may just been straight up sin. But it's not unredeemable. You know, it's one thing for you to say, well, I just don't think that's a sin. Well, then I would be wrong about that. No fault divorce is sin. But is it unredeemable? No. Uh, should you, based on this, if you got divorced, should you remain un uh, unmarried? If you if you were not, you know, if you weren't going to go back to that person, yeah, that's scripture. But if you don't do it, is that unredeemable? No, because everything starts anew when you come under the authority of Christ. You know, I always say this: God would never call you to be in His perfect will by saying, "I need you to sin one more time." I mean, I mean that that that's that's not who God is. What He's saying is, you didn't do it my way. You've come under my authority. I have redeemed you. But, oh, by the way, there may be earthly repercussions because you didn't do marriage the way I said to do it. But when you didn't do it my way, you also didn't know me. Okay. So, you know, uh, there's, you know, sometimes we create mess of sin. And it's just like somebody saying that, um, and some of you say, well, I just, I just disagree with that because he clearly said, well, okay, let me try this then. What if somebody has an abortion before they're redeemed? Or will say they have an abortion and it was a stumble for them. So when they repent of that sin, can they ever go back and make that baby back alive on this side of earth? No. Do you think Jesus doesn't forgive? Them? Well, I'm sorry you did it. Now you can't get that baby back. I guess you're done. That that's the same thing you're telling somebody. Saying, well, the fact that you got divorced one time in your life, and once you were forgiven, you know, it clearly says that you, you know, you you're supposed to remain unmarried. Yeah, but I, I didn't know that when I got married. Uh, I, I I'm, I'm I wasn't I wasn't even a follower of Jesus. Or let's say you did understand it, and you just did it anyway, but you ask now to be forgiven. You, you see, there's some things that you do, and you can repent of that sin, but the earthly repercussions of it, you can't do anything about. So you know what you do? You live the rest of your life under his authority, and do it the way he said to do it. And then there'll be a day that all this will be washed away completely, and the earthly repercussions will be gone too, and it's not going to matter anyway. But but this, this garbage sometimes, if you're thinking, because somebody commits the sin of divorce... And if, and if they didn't remain single and unmarried and all this, that somehow they can never get right with God, that is just not correct. So Paul's saying, but I will say this, this is what God says about those of you that have separated from your husband or those of you that may have divorced your wife. If, if you know this and you ask me about it right now before you do anything, I would prefer that y'all stayed unmarried or reconcile back to the person you were married to. Next, 12, to the rest. I say, not the Lord. He makes it clear, this is his opinion, that if any brother has a wife who is a, an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. This is, now we're getting to the second thing in the Bible that where divorce is allowed without even being sinned. The first is adultery if it cannot be reconciled. The second is this. First of all, we are not to marry people who are not part of the church. We are not to do that. But what happened here, just like Peter was talking about in his first letter, when he's dealing with husbands and wives, what happened here is people were getting married as pagans. One of the people came to know Christ, the other didn't. So now one of them has redeemed, the other one's not, and they're stuck in this marriage. And so what Paul is saying, don't divorce them. Stay with them. And he says this, If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Why? Why? For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. As it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, um, how how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So here's what he's saying. First of all, for the children's sake, we got a believer in the home. Okay, so so hold what you got. Because now your children could be actually raised in the faith because you're still there. You go off and leave these children, and a lot of times, believe it or not, in the old days, the children stayed with the daddy. They didn't leave with the mama. Uh, the, y'all realize this thing of leaving children with the mama versus the dad is a relatively new thing? And a lot of it has to do with the fact that that's what husbands start wanting. They didn't want to have the responsibility of the kids. they abandoned their responsibility. But in the, I mean, I'm not talking about just in biblical times. I'm talking about in this country up until the 19th century, the judges would rule that the children stayed with their daddy if there was a divorce because that gave the kid the best shot. So this thing of being maternal versus paternal—that's all brand new. Okay, so so anyway, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you are in a marriage where where your spouse is not a believer. So here's the mandate stay with them, don't divorce them, live the faith out in front of them because you may be able to bring them to faith. But, but, if the unbelieving spouse says, I'm not doing this, I'm out, let them go. And that person's not in sin, let them go. You stay with them if they're willing to stay because you can live your faith, you're not allowed to leave. But they're allowed to go and if they do then that then that's been dissolved so so there, so this is where you have to be careful when people start talking about that everybody like the mark chapter ten when it says that Jesus talks about you know divorce and all this what Jesus is talking about in mark chapter ten there then he even says this you know Moses petitioned my father for for a certificate of divorce because y'all had become so hard-hearted these men if you look at what the the word that's been used there, the word that's been used in Mark ten in the Greek means to put away, to put away your wife. Okay, just like when Paul's talking about elders and deacons, he has access to the word divorce and he doesn't use it he, he talks about them being a husband of more than one wife. But anyway, so but but that's a y'all can debate that. I, I'll do whatever God calls me to do, and I'm certainly not going to become. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm serving God just fine in the situation that I'm in, and uh, and I don't I don't need the approval of. Of, of, of some debate in order for me to serve the Lord. If it works out, then the Lord wants me to serve in a different capacity of, of, of something that that I, I didn't think I could serve Him because I'm somewhat divorced. That's fine. That's His call. I'm perfectly fine. I'm just so thankful to be redeemed. I'm not going to sweat these kind of things. And it can't be about my pride. It's got to be how I can serve Him the best. And there are earthly re- repercussions for sin. If I didn't want to be in that confusing debate, I should have never. I should have. I should have understood what marriage was early on. I shouldn't have done what I did. It, there's a weird concept. Hey man, I'm suffering consequences for something that I did that was wrong. Maybe that's on me. Okay, so but I'm redeemed and I'm serving the Lord as best I can with all the garbage I created before I was redeemed. So and he does hey, he is a he's a he's a he's a new creation creator. And I and and I'm excited about what he's going to continue to make me. I can I can't even believe who I am now compared to who I used to be. And uh, and I'm continuing to grow in that sanctification. But what he is saying is this if, if you're in this situation, you stay with it to try to bring them to faith and back to Mark 10. So we know that if, if, if everybody says that Jesus is saying, well, everybody who's divorced, everybody who's divorced, if they go and they do this, they're in sin. Well, it can't be that because we already know there's two things in the Bible that Jesus himself said that someone who's divorced over adultery, that's not even sin. Someone who's buried to a non believer and the non believer leaves, that's not sin. Well, so, yeah, there are cases of divorce that aren't even sin. Now, there's only two. But, uh, so, so that, that really can't be what, you know, some people just write, well, I said, I mean, you, you, you do this, if you ever got remarried again, then you'd never, you never be right with God again. That, that, you're going to have a hard time making that case if you take the Bible as a whole. And keep in mind that here's another example of what Paul just said. Alright, so, he's been clear. If you can stay single, stay single. I think you can serve the Lord better that way. But if you can't do that with sexual purity, take a wife, take a husband. He also goes on and says what? He says, if you, if you are married, stay married. If you, if you ended up leaving your husband, stay unmarried. If you divorced your wife, stay unmarried. That's what I prefer. doesn't mean that God doesn't have grace in situations that are different than that. That's what Paul's saying. And then he says, if you're married to an unbeliever, uh, stay with them. Try to lead them to the Lord. To the Lord, your your children are made holy because you're there. You can raise them up in the faith. But if they want to leave, you let them go. Now, 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. This is important. I would underline this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Can we please all learn this? What he's saying is, look, y'all got to stop thinking the way you're doing is the way the other person should do it. Now, we're not talking about people in sin. We're talking about people with a different call. Those of you that are single thinking the married people are not as holy as you, you need to drop it. And those of you that are married that think the single people aren't as holy as you, you need to drop that. Everybody needs to find out what the Lord has called you to. I, have you ever been so frustrated with people that think their call from the Lord should be your call when it's just not? He said, only let each person lead the life that the Lord, now not the life we've we've assigned ourselves, the life the Lord has assigned ourselves to which God has called him. You you need to quit worrying about what God called other people to do, and you need to be thinking about what has God called you to do. How can you? How can I serve the Lord better? And I may have things that I can serve the Lord better doing that you 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 don't you don't need to do. You're not called to. We talk about this all the time. I go around all the time. People says, "Well, where's Bubba?" I said, "I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking somewhere. I don't. Know. I have no idea what Bubba's doing." Well, how come Bubba's not speaking? Because Bubba's not called to do that. You know, Bubba serves the Lord in other ways. Now, does he speak every now and then? He does. But I'm doing what God's called me to, and he's doing what God's called him to, and some of that we do together, and some of that we do separately. But I don't sit there when I'm you know, doing the manchurch.com and I'm going somewhere, I'm like, well, Bubba needs to be doing this too. That's not true. I don't know what Bubba's being called to in his individual ministry. I know what he's called us to together, but I don't know what God's called him to. That, that's between him and the Lord. And, and so that, that's what he's talking about. He said, this is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time his call already circumcised? Because he's, he's getting so tired of this circumcised, not circumcised thing. He said, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his, his call uncircumcised? Well, then let him not seek circumcision. And that line right there was really good news to the men in Corinth. That was really, really good news. Uh, the, the men, of course, was like, woo! So, cause you know, somebody said, go ahead and ask them that question. Let's wait on the answer. And when that came in, cause you just think when they're reading it, cause you know, this is being read to the church. So he gets up and he goes, all right, here's something else Paul said. Was, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? And everybody's like, oh boy, right, that, that's not what we asked. Well, then let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Okay. And then all the uncircumcised guys are like, we're next. And then he says, was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Wait for it. If I was reading that, I would have paused right there. And they'd just watch him lean in. <laughs> Let him not seek circumcision. And, and then you could just hear in the congregation, whoo, that's big. So anyway, so, so for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God, he, Paul's like I don't care whether you're circumcised or not circumcised. That doesn't make you any more holy than anybody else. Now, if this was something in the in the old covenant, it was because God said my people are going to be set apart, and so then it was it was crucial. But what Paul says under the new covenant, circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing. Here's what here's what I'm looking for. Are you obeying God? Because you know what, you may do all this legalistic, ritualistic stuff. But if you're not obeying God in every part of your life and keeping his commandments, it means nothing. So what he's saying is that is not something that is that that we are looking for to be a mark in the new covenant of being a follower of Christ. The Jews and the Gentiles have been grafted in, and you know, because you remember when they called in James to straighten all this out in the book of Acts. I I love that when it says James showed up and no one opposed him, you know what that meant? Paul got opposed, Peter got opposed, John got opposed. These people were opposing everybody. Then James shows up and everybody's quiet. I don't think you crossed James from what I could gather. And he got up and said, here's what we go. Here we go. We're not going to require the, 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 the Gentiles to be circumcised. Okay. That's out. But let me tell you what. Hey, you, you pagans, former pagans, y'all got to stop with all this pagan stuff. We're not doing any more of this garbage y'all were doing as pagans either. That's out. And he, and he cleansed the church of the two problems on both sides and said, we're now one church. And now here comes Paul, uh, confirming that again. And he says, so each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Well, how about this? Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For if he who was called in the Lord as a slave is, is a freedom of the Lord, likewise he who is free who is called is a slave of Christ. You were, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there, let him remain with God. I love this analogy about being a slave. Hey, man, if you were a slave when God called you, you know, he may free you, he might not, but you've been free. Here's the thing you've got to get, and we need to know this because we got to be real careful. And look, I, I, I'm glad that I am in the United States of America. Even on its worst day, uh, I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to go all over the world, uh, this country on its worst day, and it may continue to get worse, but even on its worst day, it's a great place to be. Okay, but let me tell you what I don't do. I don't worship the United States of America. And I'll tell you this: you can talk about liberty, you can get out and protest. Hey, hang on to your liberty, hang on to your liberty. And I'm, hey, look, I'm a maximum liberty guy. I love the founding fathers that said we believe this country should offer people to reach their maximum God-given potential by giving them God-given liberty. I'm all about that when it comes to governments. I hate a big government. I like a tiny government. I don't like I don't like human kings. I'll serve the king of kings. However, if you're not redeemed, I don't care how much freedom stuff you talk, you're not free. And you could live in the worst country on the planet and be under human slavery, but if you've been redeemed, you're free. If you're not redeemed, you're not free. But you know what? If you're redeemed, you're not a slave. He slave. He said, but you know what? We all become what? Slaves to Christ. But slaves to Christ is not like being slaves to men because we now have a benevolent king that, that loved us enough that he would die in our place, and he treats us as his equal. See, and, and then so he says, so don't, I wouldn't let these, do you see what he's saying right there? Look, whatever condition you're in, whatever this world's done to you, if you've been freed by Christ, celebrate it. Celebrate it. You know, this is the thing that I love. Come as you are, but Jesus didn't leave you like you were. Yeah, so the world says you're a slave, you're not a slave. But you know what the opposite of that is? So the world says you're free, you're not free. Not if you're unredeemed, you know. So then, and I'm looking at my time. I'm pretty. I think I can get a little more of this in. We may get it all in. Now, concerning those that are engaged, I have no command from the Lord. How about he just calls it? I, I don't have anything for you on that. If you're if you're engaged, um, you know. I, but I will give my judgment as the one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Meaning, this didn't come to me through the Holy Spirit. God really didn't tell me this. But I know God. I've kind of learned his character. I think I can speak to this. He said, I think that in view of the present distress, don't miss that. Remember, I talked about that earlier. In view of the situation we're in right now, Nero is coming down on the church. Problems are everywhere. Uh, He said, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Whatever situation you're in right now, you know what he's saying? I just hold what I got. Because it's real uncertain right now. So, so. If you're engaged, that's cool, but I wouldn't go and go through with it if that's all you got. If you have a wife and you have a husband, stay, where, stay like you are. There's nothing, I'm not trying to separate marriages here, and I'm not against marriage. So he says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. If an engaged woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would just try to spare you for that. You know what he says? Now, some of y'all, I said, "Hold what you got." Y'all going to get married anyway because you're already engaged. That's fine, but just know what you're getting into. And what does he mean by that? Okay, so listen to this. This is what I mean. See, see, can you get any more straightforward than that? Twenty-eight, you're like, I wonder what he means. You know, he says in twenty-nine, "This is what I mean, brothers." The appointed time has grown very short. So he thinks, he thinks, guys, we we don't. I don't know that you got time for a marriage. But if you're in a marriage and you want to get married, that's fine. But there's going to be responsibilities that come with that. And in the times we're in, he said, From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of the world is passing away. What he's saying is all this stuff you think is important right now, I got news for you. The situation we're in, it don't mean nothing. You're making a big deal about this stuff. Like you're sitting there probably talking about how beautiful your wedding's going to be and how how great it is or I got this thing I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. He goes, "Guys, I got news for you. All this is passing away. You better live like you got nothing. You better live like you're about to face the Lord. You better live like you might be killed tomorrow." And this is one of the things that we've been doing um and I and I get this from my, from the brothers um that, 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 that hold me accountable. Every single time that we all go out to preach right now, we send each other the same text. Preach like it's your last time. Don't, don't assume you're going to preach again next week. Don't, don't assume this date you got on the calendar for November is going to happen. You preach like it's your last time. And this is what Paul's saying. This is how you need to live. So he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. Yes. i got to tell you something. Uh, my wife being okay and my wife being pleased, it sits there at the number two slot every day. And honestly, most days it's in the number one slot, okay? Because sometimes my prayer time gets, it gets, gets altered if the things of my wife are not good. Or if my wife, he said, look, I'm just telling you, if you're a single guy, you can really say, and I see this right now with uh, with my uh, sons, They're, none of them are married. And uh, and so right now, if the Lord calls them to do something, they go. They don't have to say, well, hey now let me check my wife, and I do I don't know, we got that wedding coming up this weekend, and and uh, you know, and then you know her mama and you know so they don't have to do any of that. So he says, those of you that that, that again that can do this and be sexually pure you're in a better position to serve the Lord at a moment's notice, or we can go anywhere we need to go. And he says, but now if you've got a wife, you're going to have to worry with that. And and you know what? Your interest is going to be divided. But how about this? It's supposed to be divided. I mean, you're not worshiping your husband or wife. You're not putting them before the Lord, but you have a responsibility to the Lord. And what did the Lord say? when those responsibilities is to your spouse, to your children, if you have them. So I deal with this all the time. I deal with it all the time. I'm going to tell you something. My wife and I have had to sit, sit down full, full disclosure and transparency before my brothers and sisters of Christ. When this church thing hit and we had the pandemic, the first round of it, and then everything got canceled and it got put on top of everything that was already in 2021 that's now on top of everything that's planned for 2022, my wife had to sit down with me and say, you're out of balance. Well, see, if I didn't have a wife... I'd be gone, I'd be gone every every week multiple times, speaking all over the place. But I can't. And so when I when I, when I started trying to do that, my wife set me down and said, You're getting it out of balance. You you because of your responsibility to me and me because of my responsibility to you, we can't go anywhere anytime, all the time. We can't. And you you have it out of balance. And I said, you know, we're in a unique situation. You are correct. We're in a unique situation. Can we just work together and let me push through this logjam of dates that have gotten stacked on top of each other? And then when we get through it, which we just got through it last Sunday, I said, then things are going to spread out, and I'll go back to what we agreed to. And you know what we agreed to? I'd like to see you not be gone more than once, twice a month. Well, see, right now I've been gone 10 times a month, 12 times a month, and that's out of balance. But see, if I was a single guy and I'd never been married, well, I could do 20 a month. I I could go wherever, if I could handle the, the, you know, physically, if I could handle it. But see, I have a responsibility, which is right. There's nothing wrong. I don't begrudge her for that. I have a responsibility to my wife, which means I can't just go do whatever I want to do, even for the kingdom. David Livingston. He got his wife killed. I mean, David Livingston got so obsessed and we, with what he wanted to do for the Lord, he really should have never been married. David Livingston should have never been married. Now, I don't know what his situation is with his ability to control sexual sin in his life. I have no idea. But his wife couldn't take it. She said, you are running me into the ground. She goes back home. He sins for her again, and she gets killed on the mission field. Because David Livingston didn't have it balanced right. And we, we hold him in high regard for what he did for the kingdom. But I got to be honest with you, he wasn't worth the crap as a husband. And a lot of men of God are terrible husbands because they they are the opposite end. There's the sin of I can't stay single, but some men have the sin of I can't be married because my obsession with what God's called me to do for the kingdom, I'm now neglecting my wife. And hey, it happened. Hey, some of the men that we hold in high regard, there were Wesley, John Wesley's relationship with his wife horrible. She resented it. So you gotta be, you gotta understand that he's saying there's a specific call to the unmarried and the married. One is not more holy than the other, but they do have different responsibilities. And he says, you've got to understand that. You know what he's saying, guys? Don't take the call from the Lord lightly, and don't take entering into marriage lightly. This is a really big deal. And you know what we do? We're just haphazard about it. Oh, yeah, I think I and you don't even sit down and go, all right, so what is the Lord calling me to do? What do I feel like the call of my life will be? And so what Sherry has said to me, correctly, we're in ministry together. You're not in ministry by yourself. We're in ministry together. So don't go off and leave me. And don't run me in the ground. Because I'd have Sherry doing marriage conferences every other weekend with me. But Sherry don't want to do marriage conferences every other weekend. She can't run at that pace. She's a processor. She's a thinker. She's a writer. She's a writer who happens to speak. I'm a speaker who every now and then writes something. Not very well, but, I mean, she's by far more gifted than I am on both. But, but what it means is the way I operate doesn't require the time it requires for her because the gift set that I have isn't the same gift set she has. So you throw, you throw 25 dates on her a year, she can't run at that pace. She can do about five, maybe, maybe eight and that's all she can do because her prep time is weeks and weeks and weeks. My prep time is a few hours. you know. And, and plus, you know, it's just the way I operate. I, I, don't, I don't write down every single word, obviously, maybe I should, that I'm going to say. But that's the way Sherry has to do it. She has to know. And look, the depth in which she can produce and the, the content she cranks out is unbelievable. But it's coming from a writer who happens to speak as opposed to coming from a speaker who happens to write. So we're equal, but we're not the same. And so I can't, my pace will run her into the ground. But her pace would have me going, come on, let's go. Man, let's go, let's go. And and so we've had to find a way to balance that to where it runs at a speed that is under the authority of Christ, but also is honoring our marriage. And what Paul's saying is, that's how married people ought to operate. The single person doesn't have those kind of conversations. But if you're married, you better have them because you're also called to be the husband or the wife that you're supposed to be. So he says that. So do not enter into this haphazardly. He says, and the unmarried and the engaged woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, and she's worried about how to please her husband. You know the only thing that brings more anxiety than a wife is a husband to a woman can you imagine can you imagine what it's like to try to deal with us? I can't even imagine what sherry's life must be like I mean you know michael what what has he done now? I mean what has he got us going into now did you would you commit to this? you know I mean she you know this and that and you know things what do women, what do women worry about sometimes our jobs what if we lose our jobs and and they may be working or not either way it brings anxiety because That's income that their husband brings in, whether they're working or not. You know What happened with your husband at work? What happened over here? What happened over here? And uh, so we bring anxiety into their life as well. So he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the key. You know what he's saying is, you, when it comes to being single and it comes to being married, you need to decide which one of these enables you to serve the Lord the best. And for me, it is absolutely married. Because I might have a lot more freedom, but then I might have a lot more freedom. Okay? I don't need that kind of freedom. I can't handle it. Okay? So so marriage is the way that I can be the most holy and consecrated to the Lord. Uh, even with the responsibilities that come and the limitations it may put on me on being able to go. But really, if I didn't have a wife, I probably can't handle going. You know, I'd be one of those guys that turned into a disaster. So, if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward the person you're engaged to, if his passions are strong, and 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 it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry; it is not a sin. Hey, you're engaged. You're a young couple. I mean, here comes the marriage. You're almost there, and you think I'm telling you not to get married? I'm not saying that. He says, look, if you, if you think that maybe y'all shouldn't get married because of the times we're living in, fine. But if you can't be sexually pure, y'all go ahead and get married. Don't think I'm telling you not to get married. Again, what's the best way you can serve the Lord? So then, who, who marries, uh, um, his, his, uh, the person he's engaged to, fiance, does well. And who, who refrains from marriage will do even better. So he says, hey, either way you can serve. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. And he clarifies that. Look, if your husband dies or your wife dies, uh, then you are free to marry whomever she can marry, who she wants to, and so can he. Yet, in my judgment, she'd be happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. So what he's saying is, if your spouse dies in the times we're living in, I would get married again. Now, keep in mind, he's talking about what they're living in right there. But he says, but again, you're certainly free to. You're not in sin if you do. And you need to decide which way you can serve the Lord better. He says, myself, I have the Spirit of God. I I, I think this is where people pick up that he might have been a widower. It almost acts like he says, because I'm, I'm in that situation, and I'm choosing not to marry again. It's likely he had a wife at some point. I don't know why she is never mentioned, so we don't know whether that's true or not. Uh, but it seems like right here he's putting himself in that last category, saying, like, I, I've got the Spirit of God, so I didn't remarry. I don't know, but uh, but I think we do know what he's saying that uh, that we that it's not hard to understand. So there it is. That's chapter seven. We did get it all in. And You see why? Even though it's a lot of content, it's really kind of the same theme though that's running throughout it. So so take that and apply it to your life. Especially what I would say to those. This is what I would say. I'm gonna leave you with these things, and we'll close. What is my gift from God when it comes to this topic? So what are my gifts? Secondly, am I marrying a believer? Do not marry people that are not of the church. You can engage people of the church, and you can witness to people, and you might even try to say, but do not marry people that are not followers of Jesus. Don't do it. Are the circumstances such for me, the way I am, is marriage the right thing for me? For me, 100% yes. Think that through. For you to serve the Lord best, is marriage the best option? How will marriage affect my service for Christ? you got to understand what he say. There's going to be certain things you can't do. But that may be okay. That may be the best thing. And back to David Livingston and Wesley, do not marry somebody else and know that you're going to drag them into something that they can't handle. You know, that people need to know. Like, you know, I had somebody one time talking to me about somebody that was serving in uh, a rough part of the world. And they were concerned about uh, their kid marrying that person. I said, "Well, has he hid that from her? No. Okay. Well, then she knows. If if she doesn't think that's the right thing for her, then she shouldn't marry him. But if she marries him, don't go. What am I doing in Africa? Well, well, I told you we were going down. You know. So you, you need to think about all that before you get married. And then, am I prepared to enter this union for life? Because if you go into marriage as a follower of Jesus then that marriage is for life. And what you have to think to yourself is, am I willing to do that? And that's the things that we need to consider uh, on uh, on marriage or not. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message. Uh, Thank you for how you have um, uh, opened our eyes. and, And something that you love and deem holy, something so important as marriage, may we stop being so casual with it. And, Lord, may we find ourselves in your perfect will, and may we, may we make decisions uh, that, uh, that give us the, the, the proper standing to serve you. Ultimately, how can we serve you the best? And thank you, Lord, for the redemption that you've offered all who repent and submit to your authority. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.